welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, everyone. It's time for another Knock On Podcast. There's going to be a lot of ice jingling and yetis for this one. Uh, next to me is my buddy Kyle. Kyle is a bass guitarist for a band called Vimic, uh, who jam extremely hard. You guys rocked last night, dude. Thanks, man. That's uh, definitely one thing we uh, we take pride in is our, our live performance. It's so uh, surreal, actually. Once you start going like backstage with people at events because it's hard to you start to I don't know you start to kind of lose um I guess the idea that certain things like that are business so obviously you're like your business is performing music um so when all you do is go to concerts and you see the performance you're thinking I mean you're seeing this you're almost seeing like an actor like you're seeing a role and then you see people outside of that role and, you know, they're completely different. I'm the same too with archery. Um, when I go and do like full week clinics, like what we just did in Europe, I'm so focused on just that performance. And I'm like really into that mode that I kind of lose a little bit of, I lose a little bit of my fun, I feel like, because I'm so focused on just like doing my work. But then, like with you guys, um, seeing everyone so chill and relaxed in the bus beforehand, everyone's just like, hey, dude, you know, and talking about the food we were going to eat later and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, 40 minutes goes by and you guys come out of that bus all freaking dressed up. And when the lights went on, people started screaming, dude you better be there to rock <laughs> because however calm you guys were before the storm once the storm hit it was game on there for about 45 minutes it was pretty hardcore yeah and it's and it's funny because the first band uh well right now we're out with uh motionless and white and in this moment on the half god half devil tour uh which ends on august 5th in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then I fly home from Omaha. But the first band loads in at 9 a.m., and they built that whole big stage thing. I'm not really sure if you saw, but it's yeah. like four risers and like a like a tent in the middle because uh, uh, Maria changes in between each song. It's actually a very theatrical performance on their part. It's, it's really good, too. But all these hours, like we don't even get to put our stuff on stage until like 4 p.m. Yeah. So, you know... From 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., almost eight hours, it takes that long to just build that whole show. And then we have about maybe an hour and a half of stage time before uh, before doors open. <laughs> well, it's been an eventful, uh, I guess it's been an eventful day and a half. A lot of times when people stop in, they only get to see me. It seems, sometimes it feels like that day has been a long time, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like if you're in-laws are here and i shouldn't say that because i like my in-laws but you know if you have someone around you that you don't like a day can seem like a long time 
But if even if you have someone that you do like and you're doing a whole bunch of crap, yeah, it's the same thing. Like you haven't even been here a day right now, and we've already we've already built a bow, took pictures, did some lessons. Uh, freaking, you ate pork loin. Mm-hmm. We chilled out in a bus before a concert. I freaking grilled for the whole band. Mm-hmm. You guys jammed at a concert. We ate after a concert. Then we chilled and had a drink last night here at the house before bed. Got up. Literally, we had breakfast. We shot more. We did some videos. And now you're experiencing your first cat lady. It is delicious. <laughs> is it under? Do you underestimate that? I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but it's I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to make some of these at home. Yeah. I think the girlfriend will like it a lot. I'm telling you people, just half a can of Red Bull, half a half a half of you know, equal amount of some, you know, decent, cheap red wine, and then throw a shot of uh Julio on top of that. Yeah, that's good. And it's and put a bunch of ice on there and you're you're on your way to Cat Lady Drink Face, which is official hashtag right now. <laughs> Actually, I'm searching. Um, the other day, I saw someone uh, hashtag Cat Lady Drink. And, uh, and for those of you listening that don't know, this Cat Lady Drink is one that um, it accidentally got invented um, in Hawaii when I was down there with some of my buddies. And, you know... Someone uh, emptied the entire... Gosh, there's a lot of Cat Lady stuff out there now. But uh, this one looked pretty good. That's like oh, a wow. little Cat Lady someone ordered. They're serving them at bars now. We're, we're searching Cat Lady drinks on hashtags. Uh, that's a big pint glass, too. That'll get you a nice Cat Lady drink face. Yeah, that's a hardcore Cat Lady. But Cat Lady drink face is an official face, too. Um, which, you know, some people's are... <laughs> <laughs> My buddy Dusty uh, put a cat lady drink face out there that's pretty hardcore of his uh, his brother-in-law, Cody. But uh, no, Joe had pretty much, uh, because our, our podcast, it was with me, Ben, Shane Dorian, Joe, and my our other buddy Sam. Unfortunately, Remy had already uh, had to fly out for a wedding. But uh, Joe just kind of double arm did like a full bear hug of the whole mini bar mm-hmm. like just reached into the back and just like squeezed the thing and then came out and just like opened up he was like those machines that you give your kids 50 cents to mm-hmm. like try to reach in and grab a teddy bear that was him just freaking going <laughs> he claw machine yeah he bar. went he went like shoulder deep into that fridge and came out and just dropped those in the center and then he went back to another one and came back. He should have just brought the two fridges. It would have been easier. But, um, yeah, I was drinking. And my drink ran out. And I kind of, all I could see is someone had poured themselves a little bit of Red Bull. Someone had, I think me and Joe had had some wine. There was like half a thing of wine. And then there was a shot of tequila right there. So I kind of just went, oh, Red Bull. Hmm, put some in there. Oh, yeah, a little wine. Okay, yeah, let's try the tequila. And yeah, Joe was just like, what are you freaking doing? <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it happens. Um, my dad has invented some pretty gnarly sandwiches. 
um, when he comes in. I've had him a few times. He would come in from a late night party somewhere, and I've seen him conger together some of the most ridiculous sandwiches. I, have you ever seen anyone do that? Like a you're talking to the the sandwich you, king, right? Really? Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I, I don't eat dairy now, but there was times where I was just like, I just want just a big gnarly sandwich. So what I would do is I would put butter on two slices of sourdough on both sides. I'd put real parmesan cheese on them, throw it on the throw it on the uh, on the stove. Sounding good. And then what I would do is I would take turkey, mayonnaise, a fried egg, avocado, and cholula. That's not that bad. I mean, that's that sounds like a good invention. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I'm not much of a bread eater, but um Every, occasionally, I have a bread like I had two today. We ordered uh, breakfast at our local High V, and I ordered three poached eggs, and two of my poached eggs were like barely cooked enough to stay together. Yeah, and I mean, and your third one was late, and they just kept bringing you bacon. <laughs> yeah, my third egg was probably thirty minutes following my meal. And so they kept bringing me slices of bacon, just said, sorry for the delay, uh, here, have some bacon. <laughs> I probably had like a dozen pieces of bacon a day, but I had to put those two eggs on, like I had to put toast on my plate because it, they just exploded. It was not a very good poached egg. Yeah, like you said, you might as well have had the, you might as well have had the Benedict. Yeah, I like needed I the Benedict <laughs> just to have that English muffin to soak up the underdone egg. Yeah. But, um... So when did you start uh, our good, and to give you a background um, on how I met Kyle, so um, someone who I've known for as long as I can remember, Forrest Carter, uh, who is responsible for, you know, pretty much doing everything, all your Carter Enterprise needs, uh, Forrest is kind of like the, the warranty tech guy, the answer your questions guy, um, He's always my go-to guy, and then you've got you know Bonnie kind of processing the paperwork and shipping and all that good stuff, and then some people maybe doing some assembly and put together. But Forrest is the man, and Forrest actually called me and said, "Hey, dude, I got to talk to you off subject." And then he said, "I've got a buddy that's really wanting to get into archery, and I'm gonna get him set up with a bow." And that was you. Yep. And then so I just oh cool, how is it? And or who is it? And then. Obviously, he introduced the two of us, and um, I don't know. People ask me all the time why I pick and choose, you know, how do I pick and choose who I work with, and that's kind of the beauty of the beauty of where I'm at right now in life is I don't have to have rhyme or reason to pick whoever I want. I can uh, I can pick a guy that I've never met and that is two weeks into archery, or I can pick someone that's done it forever and. That's what makes my job fun is I really like some of my best material for like articles comes from when I just go back to the roots. Yeah. Um, you know, I just really like to, you know, as much as it's fun working with high level athletes, you start to really limit how much material you bring out of it because they're already at a level to where you're trying to look at things with so like you're trying to magnify something so much where a lot of people won't relate to like that being a subject to talk about. Whereas when you 
do go back and you work with people that are really struggling with things that are like very common everyday things that archers continually struggle with, then at that point, I feel like I'm continually being refreshed on this is things I need to talk about because here's someone else that's doing this or here's someone that doesn't know or you know maybe you tell me a story hey I saw this on you know it's such and such so I just started trying it and then I can be like wait a minute man let's avoid that you know let's go back to this or um, so I guess that's how we met but what got you like keen on archery to begin with well when I was a kid um I really, really liked Robin Hood, and I always wanted Robin Hood in tights, or no, just Robin Hood in general. Like I like, <laughs> I mean that that's a that's a great movie, and I've watched it probably a million times. But and as silly as it sounds, like I really liked Robin Hood, and I always wanted to shoot a bow. But you know, in the in the mid '90s in Los Angeles, there wasn't really a lot of you know places to do that. And yeah. my mom was a single mom with three kids, and it wasn't really something that was on the table for me then. And then. Uh, Fast forward to, I don't know, probably about a year and a half ago, I I found a place in Burbank, uh, California, where I'm from, um, called Woodley Park, uh, Woodley Park Archers, and they had free lessons every Wednesday and Saturday. Good for them. And so I went down there, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to shoot recurve or if I wanted to shoot a compound, and I, w- I went down there, and they had they had to keep canceling lessons because there was a wasp nest behind the targets so they're like oh yeah we're yeah we're not going to do that and then I just kind of I kind of got sidetracked and then I had uh I had moved up to where I'm living now in the high desert in the Santa Clarita Valley and just one day I kind of got like a wild hair and I was like I wonder if there's any archery ranges around here and uh because I was listening to Joe's podcast just I drive trucks in LA, I get bored with music, I needed something else to listen to, so I just started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, and I was listening, uh, I'd probably listened like 10 episodes of his, and then he said something about archery, and I was like, oh, well, he's into archery too, and then he said your name, and then, so I looked through, and I was like, alright, let me listen to all the ones with John Dudley, and then it got me turned on to your podcast, and I was like, alright, I, I gotta do it now. Yeah. You know? So, I went, and I called them, I went up to the range first, um the guy at Oak Tree Gun Club, uh, Carlos, and I made an appointment for for a lesson. And then I was on Facebook or whatever, and I you know I liked the Knock On TV page on Facebook, and I liked Hoyt um, and a couple other pages. And that's when Forrest actually messaged me. He was like, you know, hey man, you know I'm a big fan of your music, and uh, uh, I saw you liked a couple of archery pages. Like, are you an archer? Blah blah blah. You know, maybe we can talk and. And it just kind of went from there. And then I just, uh, when I found out we were playing Des Moines back in March or April, I was like, hey, dude, can you text Dud? Maybe he wants to come to a show. <laughs> like, it's a long shot or whatever. And then he gave me your information. And then I think you were on a hunt when I texted you or or something or in a blind. And then I was like, yeah, I, I texted him, but, you know, whatever. I know he's a busy guy. And then he texted me back a couple days later. And I was like, I was like yeah, he texted me back, dude. I think he's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked out pretty good. It was actually... Um... This is kind of a chaotic time, um, but this was my this was literally my one week that I'm home, like the whole week, and um, Sharon, Harry, and everybody's here, and we're just like, yeah, this was this was my one week to enjoy home. Uh, 
so I was pretty excited to <laughs> shades is like wanting in this room bad. Um, yeah, it was my one week to enjoy home, which was cool because, um, I don't know. Your, your guys's music is really hard, hard. It's definitely like harder than what I would listen to. Um, normally but obviously um just like with any of my friends you know i always try to do my part and like kind of try to pay attention into just like some of the things that they're into so i you know i downloaded all your music from itunes and um i kind of played it i played the first song um with james in the car and then james like dude i need to work out to this and i'm like i said well it's i said freaking get it so I didn't realize that was like the last time James and I had talked about that we needed to work out with it. Did you see him like freaking singing last night? I didn't. I didn't, but he had told me when he picked me up yesterday at the at the hotel. Dude, he knew every freaking word. I mean, like in time. He was just like I mean, if he had if his high and tight blonde hair was about 6 foot longer, he could have been up on stage <laughs> with you guys freaking jamming but yeah he knew every single word i'm the worst when it comes to my mind is uh my mind is bullcrap it absorbs archery and other than that it's pretty much worthless it's like i can remember i can remember stepping up to like target one on the sea range at bedford indiana in 1997 and the first targets of black buck just just over the rise and i shot it for 37 yards like i can remember that and that's actually a tree target but if you tell me what your name is a few minutes later (laughs) you're hey dude (laughs) well you (laughs) meet a lot you meet a lot of people and that's the same thing with me like i meet a lot of people and uh there was actually one time a couple of years ago I was out in Hollywood. Um, actually, this is probably maybe 10 years ago or something. I was out in Hollywood with some friends, and this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, Kyle, what's up, dude? Like, how's it going? I had no clue who this kid was. He's like, hey, it's, it's Bobby, man. I was like, cool, man. He's like, "He's like, yeah, I have that black Gibson uh, Les Paul standard. I was like, oh, okay. Yep. I remembered the guitar, yeah. but not the kid I had jammed with. Yeah, yep. That's exactly right. That's how it is for me. And as much as I, I love music, I really like music. I listen to music all the time. I've got, I mean, I wouldn't even want to know. Like if I open up my phone, I bet 90% of my phone is music. Um, but I cannot, I don't think I know the words to one, full, not one full song ever. Like I do, if, if you, if you put me on karaoke, <laughs> Like, actually, I remember the first time I, I did karaoke, I did it with um, the official photographer for World Archery. His name is Dean Albrega. <laughs> and Dean and I did karaoke together um, in Amsterdam. And his family is, they're from Suriname. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, when there's birthdays in the family, it's a very big deal. Like, that's a big tradition for them. So when we were in Amsterdam for a big, um, a big, national tournament called face to face he told me he's like dude he said um my niece's birthday is tonight and he said i have to go to this like family party people are flying in for this and i just said oh and he's like you should come he goes and like experience our food and stuff and 
So I was like, yeah, dude, I'll do it. I didn't realize like another part of their tradition is karaoke. <laughs> so they had this massive like family karaoke jam and we're like, we're on the second floor above the red light district in this dude's flat. And it's like normal society. We're having, we're eating these awesome like dishes from Suriname, doing uh, karaoke, and it was at that time that I actually realized like what some of the words were, were to some of these songs. Him and I actually had uh, a Boy George song, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I could not believe that was what the actual words were. I was like, wait a minute, I never, I kind of just made up. I don't even think the word that I would sing to that song was even real. But it's like that with a lot of them. I just kind of throw in words that sound similar. Um, which probably means I'm more into like the music and the band more so than the song. Like yeah. I'm into the sound. I love the sound and the beats. Like to me, the beats and like what you do with bass. Um, I really like live concerts because you can really experience the drummer and the bass. Your guys' drummer was amazing, dude. Um, he was really good. And that's what I really like, more so than, you know, Sharon will sing a song and be like, what song are you singing? Because there won't be music going to it. She'll just be singing the words in the car. And then she'll say, well, it's such and such song. And I'm like, Really? I mean, like a major song, she's singing the actual words, and it's like, okay, this kind of sounds like a cool story or something. I don't realize, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just like jamming to the to the theme. I'm never <laughs> like actually enjoying the words to it. Whereas last night, obviously, James was enjoying the words. He was freaking mouthing every single word you guys were singing. So Yeah, when he picked me up, he told me, he's like, yeah, man, I jam Simple Skeletons all the time when I'm at the gym, man. Like, <laughs> that, oh, might dude, that rules. <laughs> that might have been his jam that he was mouthing last night. Because I knew you guys were getting ready to get done, so I actually went off the stage because I didn't know how you guys exited the stage. You know, I've kind of been back there at times where people come off in wild and crazy ways and I didn't want to end up like blowing a hip out falling over a speaker or something so I'm like <laughs> getting the hell out of Dodge and James is like dude they're not done yet and I'm like yeah they're gonna be coming off man and so he's, I just said stay up here man I'm like I'm good I'll only be 10 feet over there and uh, I went down I was kind of just standing there on the bottom waiting for you guys to finish and I look up and James is just like I think once the once I wasn't standing next to him then he came out of his little came out of his little closet there he was like freaking head was rocking <laughs> i could see him like playing along like air bass with you so it was pretty sweet well let's talk some archery we're 22 minutes in we've talking we've talked how you got into archery which i guess is pertinent a little bit to the followers and the podcast but um What's some of the things, uh, Kyle came here, we can just talk about some of the things that, um, you know, that he worked on. The first thing we did was I let him shoot how he normally shoots um, and took a few photos. Um, a lot of what you're doing, I can tell you've, I can tell, I, I always see small details um, and people that really pay attention to stuff that I teach or read things that I teach, I can see those things. Um, kind of especially when they're going through their process of like their shot process. So I know there's certainly things that you're trying to do that you've heard me talk about. Um, but one of the things that uh, 
that we helped you with was when you got your bow from Forrest, Forrest got you a bow, mm-hmm. um, he probably just put the peep sight in a height that he assumed was where it needed to be. Yeah. And so when you got that bow, you just started pulling back and just kind of finding an anchor position that was comfortable so that you could see through the peep. Yeah. That's what I would guess. Yeah. Um, so his peep sight was a little bit low. And because the peep sight's low, when you learn to anchor, you learn to anchor a little bit high on your face. So for those of you listening, I like to teach when you hold your release to put your index finger under the jawline and the middle finger above the jawline if you're shooting a handheld release. Because really I'm looking at the position of the arrow on the face. I want the arrow um, between the chin and the lip. I want it in that safe zone of the face. And especially if you have a beard like you do as well, um, all that starts to become very important to clearance and then also uh, just kind of your head position and comfort. Because if you're too high too, um, if you're too high with your anchor, the elbow starts to get really high and it starts to change kind of your ability to leverage and pull through. Um, With archery and proper technique, everything is angles and leverage and efficiency and if like lines if certain lines and certain angles are correct then your shots become pretty efficient mm-hmm. um so with you i talked with you uh you know your peep sight was a little low so you taught yourself to anchor a little bit high in order to, to see through the peep properly and um so we i kind of just worked with you with a um a right release uh this is a pretty sure i'm saying that right i don't know my buddy my buddy handsome rob who does rattler grips him and my other buddy randy um made that little shot trainer that i worked on you with oh okay and i'm sure it's called the right release i'm not um for whatever reason i struggled with uh with that name yeah it is it's the right release and more or less it's a it's kind of a shot training aid. Uh, works really well. Just allows you to really focus on learning your anchor um, and your anchor position, and then obviously your head position. So um, it's a great product. We're actually working on. Um, I don't know if I don't know if there's progress on this, but um, Rob was supposed to be working on an aluminum version for me, um, a knock-on version. So if he does, that'll be good. If not, then Rob coming after you dude but it's a great little tool just to i mean for you how how much easier was it for you to just have a piece of string and a handle to where i could move you around and you weren't having to think about the bow taking the the string away from you or even pulling the bow back and holding that weight um it's just a very good training tool and then once i got your anchor position right i was like okay yeah that's really good so then I worked on your thumb position, and then for you, your hand position. Yeah, the index finger, which... It, do you mind if I tell the story? Yeah, tell it. Tell it. So uh, a few months back, and Dud had pointed this out when he was showing me the pictures. Apparently, I was uh, relaxing my index finger. but um, On the I, release hand. On, on, on the release hand. And uh, I had uh, lost the release at full draw at my... Local. Oh, you're telling that story. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, and I kind of figured that that's probably a, a big deal of why that happened was because I'd made 
you know, either a ring finger or a middle finger adjustment, stupidly, at full draw, if my index finger wasn't at, wasn't relaxed like it was, um, I wouldn't have lost that release, which then shot, hit my riser, bounced off my riser, hit me directly in the face, broke my glasses in half. Split. Your release broke? Yeah, broke oh, my it... glasses in half, split my... You can see the scar right here. Oh my god. And then dude, hit me just above the that. eye socket. I didn't hear that part. <laughs> you got bitch slapped by your freaking whisper. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh my but gosh. yeah, but honestly, um, uh, helping me with uh, my hand position on my, on my release definitely helped... Um, just the comfort level of, of pulling back as well. And I always make that a conscious, you know, thought when I'm pulling back, like make sure your index finger isn't relaxed. Yeah. And what we're talking about is, um, the reason why I talk about proper, um, hand position on your release aid is because you really need to learn to bend your fingers. You know, your fingers have, you know, well, they've got three joints, but you know, once you get past your main fist knuckles, your fingers have two joints. So you really want to bend those to where the two joints bend around that release perfectly and you've got that flat part of your knuckles, um, which is really where that release aid should sit. And all your fingers should really be bent um, evenly to where they're fitting perfectly down there. Now, if you start to relax your index finger, then obviously you're transferring a lot of weight then on the ring finger more actually more on the ring finger and then more and then you know the balance normally goes on the, the middle finger and if there's any left it'll be on the pinky um, but the problem is with the with any type of handheld release is once you start to relax that index finger too much it's hard to hold on to the end of that release it'll just come right out and mm -hmm. I've actually had a few people that have tried to shoot um, and I think it's because they bought a knock to it or a silverback and they're coming from a hinge release style um, which one way to shoot a hinge release is actually to draw back with full tension in the hand and then slowly relax the index finger as you're pulling back mm -hmm. because that release is made to pivot around the middle finger so that's totally different but if people shoot that release and then they try to to like transition over to like a knock to it um, they're trying to shoot that release the same and what happens is once you relax too much you you literally just can't hold on to that freaking release and we had a few releases come back to us where people said uh dude the trigger broke off at full draw i have no idea you know literally the trigger broke off and then uh you know next thing i know you know i punch myself in the face and it's like you know get their their release back and there's this big freaking dent in the index front index finger of the release um, or in one case someone said that the release malfunctioned and wanted me to you know try to pay for their bow because you know they had this big dent in the back of their carbon tech riser and it's like listen dude if the release misfired then the bow is firing if there's a hole in the back of your riser, the perfect shape of a knock to it, you let go of your release and yeah. freaking shot your bow, like, yeah. which is what you did. Yep, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it. Good for you. I didn't know it like bounced off. and Bounced off the riser, hit me right in between the eyes, hit me right in the nose and right above the eye socket. Dude, you're lucky that... Um, 
you're lucky you did you're lucky you had glasses. I've had a couple instances I've had I've had a few times where I've put arrows through my hand, um just doing stupid stuff, not checking arrows, you know. It's one of the one of the dangerous parts about target archery is by the time it's the second or third day of an archery tournament, they're peer grouping people. So like if you can imagine um, back in the day, they didn't have like, there was a time too where they didn't have everybody shooting on like their own individual spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine going to a big event and you're at a trial or something and they put like the four, the four best, you know, it's kind of like in golf, you know, they start to peer group. Imagine the four best archers in the world all shooting the same bullseye target. I mean, every arrow, every time you shot, you were just hearing this freaking carnage of carbon and aluminum crushing together. Knocks are flying and stuff, and you're just like, oh. And I remember uh, my old, um, the old pro staff coordinator at Easton was Jeff McNail. And I remember I could when we'd be when there'd be some of these peer groups shooting really good. You'd look over at Jeff McNeil, he'd just be shaking his head because, you know, it'd be like putting. Imagine if you were a surfboard company and you put like Shane Dorian and the other five best surfers on the same wave at the same time, yeah. and you're like providing these guys boards. They're just gonna be crashing these boards together every two seconds, and. uh there was a couple times where I just didn't inspect my arrows good enough, mm-hmm. and I shot them, and they just freaking explode. You know, they just explode. And I've put, I've put, I luckily I've shot myself a few times. Um, I've shot my finger, off, I've almost shot my finger off. You can see right there. Oh damn! It was from there. That was with the broadhead. It Ooh. All, luckily the bone stopped it. I almost took it off. I would hate to. If you relax your pointer finger up too high. And you have, you know, you forget to, you forget that you have like a, a ram cat mm-hmm. type broadhead on. Have you ever seen one of those? Yeah. Well, it was a, my buddy asked me to try one. Yeah. I almost cut my damn finger off. That's actually how I remember to put my finger down. Well, not, not from a broadhead, <laughs> but I was actually losing, uh, I was, I was losing fletching because I would draw back fire and my index finger was up, and my fletch would hit my finger and rip the fletch off. Yep. Well, don't do that with a broadhead, dude. No. It uh, it's not fun. If it's all fun and games till you got four fingers. Ugh. Um, I can't. Well, four and a half. You're not going to lose the full finger. I can't play bass with a with a nub. The hell you can't, <laughs> dude. That thing could be awesome. Get right down on there. You would, like, especially once it calloused on the end. You could just, like a real bass player, you should have a nub anyway. Like, you should have played your fingers down to the nub. Yeah, well, I use big strings, too, because we tune super low. Well, yeah, I guess it would suck if it was on your left hand. You'd be, like, slurring notes together. You could use it as a slider. Pretty cool, though. Yeah. Like, do you do slide slide bass? No, not really. I mean, I do do a lot of actual, uh, like, sliding into notes and stuff for live and a lot of, you know, bass slides here and there Mm -hmm. just because they're fun and it sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) No slap nub? No. (laughs) Slap nub. No, I I, I don't do a lot of, I'd actually, I only do slap one part uh, uh, for Vimic. For my other band, Bad Wolves, I do a lot more slap and pop and jazz stuff. Yeah. A little, little. 
Well, uh, what what one thing that I taught you do you think you could could tell everyone listening that they could um, they could put to use and make them better? Honestly, my anchoring position, I really think. But when when drawing back, you told me don't don't look in the peep. Just go back and put your you know your index finger underneath your underneath your jawline. I think that's been the most one of the most important things to my shot that I think you've really helped out is just like forget about the peep until you're anchored. Yep. And that's and that's and I mean I when when I was finally listening to that I was grouping a lot closer and a lot better. And yeah, your groups changed. I mean, like in 20 minutes, I would say they were hundred percent better. Mm-hmm. Like if that's, if that's how wide you're shooting at the, you know, if that's the group you shot at the beginning to what you shot at the end, it possibly more like it's definitely a hundred times better. I mean, yeah. cause you're shooting half of your group size easy. Yeah. Um, and what Kyle's talking to or talking about there is, uh, with Kyle, because, and this happens quite often, people just really get in the habit of trying to pull the peep sight back to their eye. Mm -hmm. They're so concerned about looking through the peep, centering their pin in their housing, you know, getting their pin on the target. They're so concerned about that. Then you, they start to lose, um, the importance of really what comes first and that's anchor position um when you draw that bow back and it stops you have to come over to your anchor position first and then once you're anchored and you feel secure you know index finger under the jaw middle finger above the jaw elbow position's good in the back release hand once that's correct at that point you adjust your head so that you're centering your peep sight on the housing and the reason that's set that way is because you know when you're shooting at 20 yards um and you you shoot a fixed pin sight so this isn't as relative to you um you shoot a fixed pin sight but um for people that have an adjustable sight what happens is they'll shoot at 20 yards and your sights way up you know your sight pins up here and then once you're shooting 100 it's down here so you know you're trying to like look through that up here and then you're trying to look through it down there and people just start to eventually center each pin in the peep sight rather than center the housing and i really like centering the housing on the peep because then you have a true eclipse and then you move the whole thing up or down and use whatever pin you need to what happens um, and I actually saw this question on one of my um, social media posts just within the last day or two you know, someone was saying, I'm not sure why when I print off a sight scale, you know, my 40 to 50 gap is never as big as what my, you know, it's like it's way smaller together than my 30 to 40 or, you know, something along that lines. And really the reason why people's gaps aren't consistently getting bigger, 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 which they should because it's ballistics. So the further you shoot, the bigger that gap should get. What happens is people start to just draw that peep back to their eye and then they just, you know, subconscious takes over and your subconscious mind likes to center thing. So it just takes that 40 pin, puts it in the center of the peep. And then, you know, your housing is 
below center or above center, you know, depending yeah. on which one you're doing. So you're almost like, it's almost like adjusting your peep sight every single shot. So if you adjust your peep sight, you know, if you draw back and shoot and sight in dead center at 40 yards uh, and you're shooting dead center, and then take your peep and slide that thing an eighth of an inch high and see where your groups move. I mean, it'll just change them instantly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no different. Moving your rear peep a quarter inch is no different than moving your front pin a quarter inch. Um, it's going to move the group. So you have to just draw, anchor, make sure your anchor's solid, then slightly adjust your head so that you're perfectly eclipsing the the edge of the peep sight with the edge of the sight housing. And then when you're shooting on elevation, uphill, downhill, you're going to find that your consistency and your your pin um, ballistics, your pin gaps or your sight scale, then it's going to be accurate. But if you're not doing it that way, that sight scale can go out the window. It's not going to be important. Yeah. I mean, everything else that we were talking about today is just mainly fine-tuning you know, stuff that I haven't really had, uh, you know, I've talked to Forrest and you like over the phone, like with questions about like archery, but I had never actually really had anyone to show me the proper way, especially with a handheld release instead of a wrist strap. But, uh, yeah, just fine tuning stuff. But I really think the anchoring, anchoring position was probably the biggest thing for me and paying attention to the level on my, on yeah, my that was a big thing for you actually too. A lot of people, your front bow hand plays in so much with accuracy and archery and you know when your first when your front bow hand um changes or in other words like if you can imagine yourself stick your hand out right now imagine yourself holding your bow okay so now that you're holding your bow go ahead and just rotate your arm so your thumb moves up to 12 o'clock okay now go ahead and let your thumb back to where it probably was to begin with. And now go ahead and turn your thumb to 3 o'clock. So that variance right there is enough to drastically change your groupings on the target from left to right. Um, it's really important your front hand position and the direction of that thumb is critical to accuracy and you know i really feel like if your front thumb is laying at about a 45 degree angle or at about two o'clock that's really where you want it to be and that's going to put your front elbow position in the correct position too so that you can keep that front elbow soft instead of hyper extended as soon as you turn that thumb up you have the ability to hyper extend that front elbow um, and that'll that'll eventually a couple things will happen. One, you'll start to have pain. You'll start to actually elongate the tendons in the front elbow, and you'll start to have a very hyperextended front arm. Um, but also, once you're fully extended like that, um, once you're fully extended, you can't pull through the release aid properly with the technique that I teach. So like the other day, I talked about... Um, well, the, I guess earlier in this podcast, I talked about um, that I'd worked with Shane Dorian a little bit uh, yesterday, or maybe I talked about that on the live feed. I can't remember, but um, the only thing Shane was doing that I really wanted him to change was front elbow position. His front elbow was down to six o'clock, so he was really rotating his arm 
to where it was the elbow was pointing straight down and he was really locking out the front arm. That's really hard on the front shoulder. So I focused on him changing his front thumb position a little bit and getting his elbow out a little bit more at the eight o'clock so that he could soften that front arm some. And then, um, and then once he did that, um, he was really uh, able to gravitate into a silverback release, which he had been, he'd been wanting to shoot it for a while. And I said, if you, man, if you can just wait until I can talk you through everything before you try it. So, um, you know, I kind of showed him his form and I actually used Shane yesterday as like a test pilot for some of the online lessons that I'm going to be doing. And, um, I showed him his form, showed him what I wanted, talked him through, said, here's what you're doing. Here's what I want, I want you to do. And he was like, okay, I understand. And then I, you know, I had a silverback. So I said, okay, here's how this is going to be. This is how I want you to do. I made a few shots for him, um, during that FaceTime call and after that you know next thing i know an hour later he's posting uh videos on his insta story and he's just making awesome shots with his silverback and it's all because of the front hand position um and not you know in your case you were almost putting too much index finger pressure on the riser so you were your top limb was tilting way to the right yeah so you were grouping, you know, probably six inches right of me because yeah. you were leaning that top limb. But once I talked to you about your bubble and then also that retina lock yeah. um, on your IQ site, then you were able to start slamming arrows together. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. You need to make me another cat lady. I that think. lady is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well... All right, people, we're out of cat ladies. Uh, we need to evacuate and move upstairs into the kitchen area. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it. And, Kyle, you got anything you want to say to anybody? Um, just thank you. You know, thank you for cooking for us last night and helping me with my archery. And, um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's been was that Traeger life-changing? It is. Seriously, I've been at, like, I don't really have a big patio at home, but I think I need to talk the girlfriend into... Well, I mean, last night I cooked for these guys. Um, I plugged in the tailgater into my truck in the parking lot mm-hmm. and literally... It was raining, too. Yeah. Well, I cooked ahead of time. I cooked early, like five hours earlier. I cooked the ribs and the pull and the pork butt. I wrapped those up and I brought them in my big Yeti Tundra. And honestly, learning to stage your food in that Tundra, it like it seems like every 30 minutes or an hour that goes by that your freaking food's sitting in that thing, it's just getting better and better mm-hmm. and better. So I cooked uh, mainly the sides um, at the in the parking lot, and then I just. You know, took those ribs out, sauced them, and just threw them on that grill long enough just to kind of cook up that sauce. And that was, the rest is history. Everyone was in a food coma within about 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I fell asleep pretty early for me last night. (laughs) Yeah, it was late for me. I'm an early bird. But then again, I've got to have my my sunrise hot tub parties out there. I didn't even hear you. I know. (laughs) Well, I mean... I don't know you well enough to just like kind of see you at 4 a.m. 
with nothing but my undies on, <laughs> holding a cup of coffee. <laughs> just, hey, getting, just getting in the hot tub, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on another Knock On podcast. See ya. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com